we praise your name in this place. The only king forever. God, may we not get lost in the noise and the chaos of our life, but know that Jesus is coming for me. Jesus is running for me. Jesus is calling to me. May it be ever on our minds and our hearts that you are good, that you never let us down. Father, we love you. Would you just imprint on our hearts, no matter what the circumstances that we're walking in, that you are good.
just uh, come before you this morning and God we know that your word says in John that you are the good shepherd and because you are good God you lay down your life for us we are your sheep that go all kinds of different ways and God I just pray this morning as we're coming in God we're, we're riding the highs of of maybe human success or maybe even just we feel good things are, are good in our minds but God we know that that's not the kind of good you are you're not good because we think you're good or because we see that you're good by our own definition. You are good because that's just who you are. And because you are good, we respond to that, God, by saying that you're good. And so, Lord, as we continue on this morning, I pray that we would just consider, God, how good you are. God, that we would consider this morning as we talk about, God, you are just and you are love. God, you, you, you are the God of justice. You are also the God of love. And God, not one of your characteristics, God, can be removed and isolated. God, you are all things at all times. And God, that's hard. That's hard to wrap our heads around. So Lord, we ask that you'd move only in the way that you can move by your Holy Spirit. As we come in, we move this morning, will we just be clinging to your promises that you will never leave us nor forsake us, God, that you are, that you have a plan for our lives, that you'd love us day in and day out, that you won't love us more because of what we do, that you won't love us less because of what we don't do how we mess up. You just love us because of your son, Jesus Christ. So way we claim that truth this morning. Jesus, you're the priority. We love you in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Make sure you say hello to those around you and have a seat. say amen in this house? All right, here we go. Hey guys, I just want to say that we're, uh, we're just, we're just really glad to be, uh, doing life with you. You know, you, you are 
such a critical part of this church. And, and even if you're like, hey, I've been here for three weeks, we just counted a privilege to do life with you. And so if you're new with us, you'll look in front of you in the seat in front of you and you'll see a little red card. And it's just gonna say something like, hey, thanks, so, we're so glad you're here. And that is for you to fill out and you can bring it to the next steps area in the lobby and they have something to give you for free. Just a little red card, fill out as much information as you feel comfortable. But if you're new with us, would you please fill that out? We really appreciate that. And also, as we pass the friendship folders down the aisle and let us know you're here, we're excited about that and just excited to get, uh, just to know who's coming, to know to know that we can pray for you and just a privilege it is to pray for you. And so, guys, we're excited. we got a couple things I want to highlight. One is that this coming week is Thanksgiving. For some of you, you're still trying to, like, uh, you know, resonate with the fact that it's happening this week. I know we're in my house, we're in the same boat, but we're super excited. This Wednesday at 7 o'clock here in the auditorium, we're going to be having our Thanksgiving Eve service. And so for some of you, this is a new thing, and we're really excited. This is one of my favorite things we do here at Crossroads. We have a night of, of communion, a night of song, and a night of testimony, and it's at 7 o'clock right here in the auditorium, and this is going to be a great, great night. So please join us, and I know a lot of everybody goes and uh, grabs a slice of pie over at Eaton Park. So it's a, just a great, great night to just celebrate and give God the thanks that he so deserves as a church family. And then the next day, celebrate Thanksgiving with your family. So we're really excited about that. That's this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. And one more thing is make sure that you look at our website and check out information about the Dessert Theater, December 6th, 7th, and 8th. Guys, this is one of those times where we really lock arms as a church and we invite our community because... These kids and these adults have been practicing, and Beth DiPietro and her team have just been doing a phenomenal job. We just thank God for Beth and her team for putting this on. They're doing a great job. But one of the things I love about this is, yes, it's great. It's a, it's a phenomenal play, and it's just going to be so much fun. But here's the key. The play is still on mission with what we believe here at Crossroads. And our mission here at Crossroads is to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So invite your friends, invite your family, invite your community members that you know in your neighborhood. Invite them to come. It's just going to be a great, great night. And then we'll have desserts uh, over in the gym right after the play. It's going to be a phenomenal time. So check our website for more information. It's also on our Facebook page. And guys, we're just super excited about this this coming uh, 6, 7, and 8 of December. It's going to be good stuff. As we move on, I want to have point your attention to this video. And then Pastor Ken's going to talk about the birthday gift of Jesus.
Take you just to think about the birthday gift of Jesus. Um, every year, is my microphone on there? I can have a little bit of mic there. All right, thanks. Uh, every year at uh, this time of year, we we try to pull out our birthday gift to Jesus. And and for many that are new to Crossroads, let me just explain what this is all about. We ask our families in our church to to actually make Christmas a celebration of Jesus, and we make him at the top of our list. We put Jesus at the number one. So we encourage you, give gifts to your family, and it's exciting, and and the fun, and all the gift giving and exchange that goes on at Christmas is actually a lot of fun. But uh, one of the greatest things that we can do is to take it a step deeper and make Jesus number one. So I want to encourage you with your families, take your take your children, teach your children. You know, I've taught my children from the time they were real small that uh, this is Jesus' birthday. When they were little, we'd wrap a package and put it under the tree. It was for Jesus. We'd bring, a, we'd bring their offering to church on Christmas Eve. It was for Jesus. And we kept teaching them this. And, and so now into their adult life, they, they think about Jesus' birthday. And so we've, we've developed a list here. There's $83,000 worth of projects on there. I'd like to ask you to open that up in your bulletin this morning. If you'll take that out of the bulletin and just look at that. There are $83,000 worth of projects. The video that you saw this morning is, is from Jay and Brianna Stokes. They're about two-thirds of the way down uh, on our list there. They are missionaries in Indonesia. And Jay and Brianna are just a wonderful couple. Uh, a few years back here, I was teaching a young adult class and they, they came in and they were looking for support to go to the mission field. And Jay and Brianna came in and they, they shared their heart in just a small little group of us. And boy, they stole our hearts. And, uh, and now you see them out there reaching the tribal people in Indonesia. And, uh, and it's just so powerful to see what God's doing in them. And they're raising their kids. You see their kids. And, and we have a few pictures of their family I think we can throw up here. Just look at a few of their pictures. Here's Jay and Brianna Stokes, their, their entire family, just raising them out there. And you'll see a few other pictures here that, uh, you know, that, that's a typical uh, exciting picture of working with young people. But he's out there, he's bringing people to Jesus. And that, that's the mission of our church. We are here uh, to bring people into a growing relationship with Jesus. So all the people on this list, there are, there are projects, everything from our radio broadcast that goes out here in Pittsburgh, all the way around the world to Indonesia, and, uh, and many places around the world. So I, I, want, I want to encourage you to pray about this. Just pray about your part and ask God, what would you have me to give? And look at our, our thermometer. I'm going to put our thermometer up here. We, uh, we have the birthday gift to Jesus. Uh, the goal is 83000 So far, already received is $18,000. Can we give our God a hand? What an exciting, exciting. And uh, 
I, I, I said in the first hour, we haven't even had a slice of turkey yet, and 18,000 has come in for the birthday gift to Jesus. So it's exciting that even before Thanksgiving that people have started to give. If you're giving to the birthday gift to Jesus offering, please designate it as such so it gets accounted properly. But I just want you to see that everything that comes in on this list, go, everything that comes in for birthday gift to Jesus goes to these projects, and then everything that comes in over and above that, if we exceed the goal like we did last year, Last year, we went over into $100,000, and all the extra that came in, we, we were able to send out to the missionaries. And some of them were on there. They had a, it said 1,000, they got two. If it said two, they got three. We are able to just keep blessing these missionaries. So I want to encourage you this morning. Just, let's just be in prayer and see what God will do, and just respond to whatever God tells you to do as far as giving to the birthday gift of Jesus offering. Uh, at this time, I'd like to ask our ushers to come forward. We'll receive our morning offering. We are, we're so thankful for all that you've been giving already. How about those Operation Christmas shoe boxes, huh? That's exciting. Look at that foyer fill. We, uh, we've been a drop-off location for our, for our community, and Deb Metcalf is in the back. She is so excited. Deb, how many boxes do we have? Can we give God a hand for that? Over a thousand boxes. So, uh, that's just, that's just wonderful. Today after church, I think she has a, if you'd like to help her, she will always take your help. They're going to be loading trucks and getting this on to the next location. It's going to move out of here pretty quick. But if, if you have a box, you better hurry up and do it fast, all right? You got to about one o'clock to get it back here. But uh, we're so thankful for what God is doing in the church. And I just want to encourage you. That's the, you know, God's using that all around the world. There's going to be people's lives are touched. I've been on the other side. I've been in Haiti and I've been in uh, Ecuador, places like that where you see them giving these boxes and with the box they give the gospel. So I want to thank you for your part in, in, in living life with a bigger view than just us. We, we don't just see life as our little church. We see the kingdom of God and what he's doing around the globe. And I want to thank you for that. One other prayer request this morning, if you'd remember Don Hayes, Don and Sally have been part of our church for 45 years. Uh, Don's wife, Sally, passed away this week. They were married something like 59 years, I think he told me. So uh, if you would keep them in prayer, keep Don Hayes and his entire family in prayer. Many of you know Tim Hayes, our young guy, Tim Hayes. That's his grandson. And uh, Don, Don's just a, a quiet guy, but a faithful, faithful servant of the Lord here at Crossroads. So if we could remember them in prayer. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and we thank you for all that you're doing. I, I thank you for the Operation Christmas boxes, Lord. Thank you for our people that have just so abundantly re- reached out and, and cared for the world. Thank you how that they're pouring love into those boxes, that many of them have taken their kids shopping and, t- and are using teaching tools to teach their kids about Jesus and, and, and how, to, how to care for the world around us. Lord, I, I thank you this, uh, this morning, Lord, for... Uh, for, for all that has happened here. And as they go out, Lord, we dedicate those boxes. I thank you this week I saw little kids downstairs packing boxes and, and praying over them that somebody's life would be touched, that somebody would come to know Jesus because we're setting this love out of our church. God, thank you. Thank you so much, Lord. God, we lift up Dawn and Sally Hayes to you. We know that Sally is in your presence this morning. What a great lady. And what a great man Don is, Lord. So we ask your presence upon the Hayes family for Don, Lord. I just ask that you'll put your your hand upon him and, and help him through this moment of grief and this change in his life.
God, uh, we just we thank you for the giving of your people. We just ask that you'll be blessed and adored. God, we look forward to Thanksgiving Eve, Lord, as we come and gather and we worship you, Lord. We just ask that you put your blessing upon all that's coming up in the days to come. In your name we pray. Amen. There's a deep sense of unease in our rapidly changing world. We all know something has been lost, but we don't know why or where it all leads. Pop culture tells us it's all about me and that we should worship our own creations rather than the creator. In politics, the end justifies the means. In relationships, love means self-satisfaction. In life, status and appearance are what count. In the church, confusion replaces clarity and conviction. Our faulty and distorted view of God is at the root of all our problems. But what if we viewed God differently? What if we saw Him the way He longed for us to see Him? We can worship a God who is holy, wise, and just, one whose faithfulness and goodness are matched by His power and sovereignty over all things. This is a God who can deliver us from evil and transform lives. This is a God worth worshiping. The way back, the path of hope starts with knowing God for who He really is. We need to know the real God. So we've been in a series, The the Real God, and we've been looking at who God really is. And uh, last week we took a little break for Veterans Day and what an exciting day that was, wasn't it? Just to see uh, this place uh, as we honored the, our veterans was a phenomenal time and thankful for Eric. Eric is out there running an Ironman this morning, all right? So you can pray for him. He's out in Phoenix, and, and uh, that, that's a pretty big deal there. But uh, this morning, as we continue on the Real God series, we're talking actually this morning about, about two things this morning. I want to talk to you about the justice of God. You know, God knows everything. God has everything under his control. He's a wise God, but yet he is a just God. And so when you think about the justice of God this morning, I want, I want to encourage you because there's, there's something here that you've got to remember. Um, I think when, when we're looking at justice, we want justice to be served for us. We want justice to be served now. And so, therefore, whenever we look at things, you know, it, it causes us to question, um, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Uh, you look at uh, things like 9-11. You look at so many issues of, uh, of bad things that have happened in our world. And I can remember back to 9-11. I remember back to Columbine. You, you, you look at the things that happened even in Pittsburgh here just a few weeks ago. And you say, why are all these bad things happening? Why, why is it that there are so many good people that are getting hurt in the process? And then as you think about that, then there's a second question that comes up. And you ask yourself, why are good things happening to bad people? Okay? Have you ever noticed that? You see, you see people that aren't even trying. That you, you see, like, they're not even directed towards God at all. They have no, no even concept that they even want to be near God, and yet it seems like good things are happening to them. Well, the psalmist David said this. He said, fret not because of evildoers, for they are like the grass that will soon be cut down and will soon wither away and will blow away. That's what, that's what evildoers are like, folks. The, he, he likens it. He says, look, they'll be cut down, it'll dry out, and then it's going to be gone. Uh, in other words, it's, it's short-lived. 
And so as we look at the evil that's happening in our world, this morning I want you to think about this. Not only is the evil happening in our world, but that is God is the just God of justice. God is the one who will slam the gavel. You know, when you think of justice, you think of the, uh, the scales, okay? Yeah, you go to the Department of Justice and you see the two little scales there, right? And you'll see that they put on either side the, uh, the justice. And so, so justice is about making the scales even. So this morning, I want you to think about this because God is the God of justice. He is the God that, that makes the scale even. He is the one who, who understands and he will pass the judgment. He will pass justice. And you look at life and you say, well, life's not fair. And may I share with you that life is not fair, but God is. Life is not fair, but God is a God of justice. And so we come to, we come to look at life and we, we look at it from our perspective and we say, wow, the, I should not have had these things happen. Why do these bad things happen? These are good people. And then we begin to get angry. And it's even, it, you know, you, you, it, it's normal to be angry at evil. I think whenever we see evil things happen, we should be angry. And I think we all face that. But uh, here it is, we want, we want justice now. And God says, I am the God of justice. Uh, let me share with you just a diagram here. This diagram shares it real well. If you take your Bible and you go into Genesis chapter 1 and 2, you're going to find out that you have life with God in a perfect world. Uh, that's uh, Genesis 1 and 2. You see God, God's given us a perfect world. Adam and Eve, they're, they're, he's pla- he placed them in a garden. It's a beautiful place. I always say that it was probably 68 degrees. You know, it was just gorgeous. And uh, it, it, was just, it was just wonderful. And God says, I'm giving you everything. This is paradise. And, and there's one tree you can't eat of. And if you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. So what does God do? God follows through. He, he, so in Genesis chapter 3, we see the first judgment. So you come into the center parentheses there, we see life in the fallen world. So from the, you have two chapters and then man, man blows it. And, and we see from Genesis chapter 3 all the way on, we see that God keeps his promise. Now if God doesn't keep his promise, the stars fall out of the sky. If God doesn't keep his promise, gravity doesn't work. God must keep his promise. God is a just God. If he doesn't keep his word, you won't have a reason to trust him. So God laid down the law, and he said, here's the law. If you you do this, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. So when sin enters the world, God is now placed with a, a predicament. He must pass the judgment. And so he passes the judgment and he places Adam and Eve out of the garden. And he says, the soul that sins, it will surely die. So he's talking about not only just a physical death. Yes, physical death is part of it, but also a spiritual death, a separation from God. And so God is now, he, he he now has an issue. His justice must act. So you look there from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to Revelation 20. So if you take the Bible and you go through and you look Genesis chapter 3 and you keep reading, you keep reading, you keep reading, it's all about God's story of redemption. It's all about life in a fallen world. It's all about the justice of God. How will the justice of God be served? And so you look through there, Genesis 3, you come all the way down to Revelation 20, which is uh, one chapter short of, of the end of the Bible. He comes, you come down to Genesis chapter, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 20, and then in chapter 21, we see life 
in restored. We see life with God in a perfect world because he talks about heaven. And, and, and he talks about how that heaven's a wonderful place. There's a street of gold. Uh, you'll have this communion with God. And this is our eternal future, our eternal state. I want to share with you right now, the reason we struggle with justice is because we're living in the fallen world. And there's fallen people all around us. Now, the, the depth of justice is this. I want you to catch this because when you're thinking about justice, you often think about the justice of everybody else. I have a justice problem. You have a justice problem. If you get what you deserve, okay, the scale. So on this side, you place your sin. God said the soul that sins, it will die. You place your sin on this side, your good can't pull that back up. Because most people, they do this. They try to put more good on here. They try to be a better person. They try to turn over a new leaf. It just, it doesn't pull it up. It's not, it's not just. God says the soul that sins, it will die. So you sinned, I sinned, we die. We will be separated from God forever and ever in a real place called hell if God doesn't do something, right? So the justice of God had to be taken care of, and it was taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. But I want you to think about something here. There was a man named Abraham. Abraham was a, a great leader that God used. And so for, for Abraham, over in Genesis chapter 18, he faced a situation. He had, uh, God was going to destroy the city called Sodom and Gomorrah. And you may have heard of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was known for its great sin. It was sin city. It was off the chart sin city. And so uh, God is about ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's got friends in there. He's got family in there. They're his own flesh and blood. And they're, they're, you know, they're trying, he's trying to get them to follow God. And you see this tension here. So let's look at, look at what happens here. Abraham, uh, Genesis 18 Verse 22, so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham stood before God. Then Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? He starts to have a conversation. Will you, will you truly sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Um, and he starts this little communication with God. Now, check this out. He says, verse 25, far be it from you to do such a thing. Far be it from you, God, to do such a thing, to put to death, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham says, aren't you the judge? God, won't you do what is right? Won't you be just? Won't you do what is the right thing to do? And the Lord God said, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then look what Abraham does. Abraham answers and says, Well, uh, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am, who am I but dust and ashes? Uh, this morning, I want you to think about this. There's a little hint to your prayer life right here. It's called humility. This is a hint to your life in the presence of an almighty God, humility. So when we come before God in humility, what do we do? We say, okay, God, who am I that I should request this from you? I'm just ashes and dust. Sometimes we come before God very demanding. Abraham comes before God and he, he says, who am I? 
And it's kind of interesting. He says, uh, verse 28, he says, basically, would you take 45? (laughs) God says, 50, would you take 45? Suppose five of those 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not destroy it. I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let the Lord not be angry with me as I speak. He knows he's pushing it here. And he's coming and he's having a dialogue with the God of the universe, with the just God. And now look what he says. He says, suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord again. Suppose there are 20 found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then he said, oh, Lord, please don't be angry with me. I speak but this one more time. Suppose 10 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. And when he had finished speaking to Abram, and Abram returned to his place. I want you to catch this this morning because there's a justice. He's coming for a God and he's saying, Lord, and he's struggling. He's like, God, surely you will do what is right. And God says, yes, I will surely do what is right. And so this morning, as you go back and you read, you'll, you'll find out that, you know, they escaped the city, but God still destroyed the city. God is just God. And so, so he, you know, Abraham's having this communication with God. And I think this is where we are at. We look and we say, God, what are you doing in our universe? We see all this crazy stuff happening. How's come these good people are getting hurt? And we get to come before God and he says that we can approach him on everything. We get to talk to him about everything. But at the end of the day, God is the judge and he passes the gavel. And I think for, for many of us, we, we have forgotten that the Old Testament proclaims that God is just. That he is righteous, he is good, he is just, he is righteous, he is fair. This is the God that we serve. The foundation of his throne, the basis of how God deals with everything, is that God will never give anyone a raw deal. It's what his justice is all about. You see, we look in our world and we see evil things that happen and we try to blame the evil on God. Uh, You know, the evil, you can never blame evil on God. James says that when you are tempted, let you not say that you are tempted of God. The evil does not come from God. And so so as, as we're looking at this world, I want you to realize when you see those crazy things that are happening out there, God says that he is the judge. And one day we will all stand before God. And we will all have to stand before the judge. And, the, and, and, and whenever I do that, guess what? I won't be thinking about the guy who did crazy things. I will only be able to answer for me. I will not be able to answer for the people who did anything to me. I will not be able to answer for the, the atrocities of this world. When I stand before God, he's going to look at me. He's going to say, Ken Barner, you're in the presence of the judge. And the only case that I can plead is the blood of Jesus Christ. What Jesus did for me on the cross. You see, God knew that we had a justice problem. So he decided to take care of it. You see, I like what A.W. Tozer said in in The Knowledge of the Holy. He says, justice embodies the idea of moral equity. Judgment is the application of equity to moral situations and may be favorable or unfavorable according to whether the one under examination has been equitable or inequitable in heart and conduct. 
So in other words, God is the judge, and there is, there is a retribution. You know, when you think of, the, of justice, why does the justice system have the scales there? It never has one up and one down. They're both even. And so what happens is we come and our sin makes the scale like this, and God says, I am just. And here's what happens. Many people in life, they try to balance the scale on their own. And you can't balance the scale on their own. This little diagram, I love to use this diagram this morning. It's the, it's the bridge. Man is on one side. God is on the other side. And our sin has created a chasm between us and God. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. None of us are good on our own. We need God for anything of good, right? So our sin has separated us, separated man from God. And so on, on the other side is God. And God has the, the peace. He has the joy. He has the love. He has all the things that you desire in your life. And what most people try to do is they try to make a bridge on their own. And they start building their own good. And they'll start making, trying to make their way across. And they'll say, all right, I'm going to be a good person, so maybe that'll help me. Uh, maybe I'm going to start going to church. And they start building a bridge and they say, well, maybe if I go to church, it'll get me a little bit closer. And you would think that would help, right? But it doesn't. Um, well, if I start giving my money, maybe the more money I give, if I give everything I got, you know, that, that doesn't help either. That does, none of these things bridge the gap. There was only one bridge that made the gap between God and man, and that was the cross. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he took care of it, and he balanced the scale for you. On, on this side is your sin. On this side is the cross of Christ. The payment has been accepted. Jesus died on the cross. He cried out to tell us die. It was The payment was paid in full. And so what that did was that took our justice. Our sin had weighed us down. And God says, I'm going to take care of that with my son on the cross. And God says, I know that you can't pay for it. Because of your sin, you can't even pay for it yourself. And it says, I'm going to do it. I'm going to send Jesus. And so he does. He sends the only son of God to pay for your sin on the cross. And so I want you to remember this verse here. This is a powerful verse from Nahum 1.3. The Lord is slow to anger but great in power. The Lord will not leave the guilty go unpunished. He is slow to anger. I'm so thankful that God is slow to anger. You know, whenever I was uh, younger, I, I, my, I had a short fuse. And I've told you often, I don't light my fuse too often because it's short. Okay? It's like as soon as I light it, Boom, it's going to go off, right? There's not enough time. I remember when we were kids, we used to get, you know, good legal citizens. We'd get M80s, right? So we'd get those M80 firecrackers, and we'd put them under a Frisbee down in Dormont. And I'll never forget, that short was not very long. The fuse was not very long. We'd light it, and then we'd go running back, and then boom! You see that Frisbee go flying up in the air? Good legal things we did as teenagers, right? And it's like, you know, that's a short fuse. God's fuse is not short. God's fuse is long. He says, I am slow to anger. I am so thankful for this. That is why Jesus came to the cross. Jesus came and died and paid for your sin because God is slow to anger. Now, look at the justice. The Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished, but he is slow to anger. 
The justice of God. He says your sin must be paid for. God doesn't take sin lightly, folks. He doesn't just say, ah, they're human. They can't figure this out. He says the guilty must be punished. So he takes his own son. And over in, uh, in, in Hebrews 9.27, he says that just as people are destined to die once, after that they face the judgment. When we stand before God, if you offer him your good works, you are condemned. You are condemned. Your good works can't pay for it. If you stand before God and he sees the cross that you've trusted his one and only son, you have been set free. The justice of God has been served and the wrath and anger that was placed upon your sin was actually placed upon Jesus. And over in Isaiah, it says that the father accepted the sacrifice of the son. That whenever he did that, he made a sacrifice that was pleasing to God. In other words, only God could accept the son's sacrifice because he was perfect. I want to encourage you today, choose to embrace Jesus as your Savior rather than meet him as your righteous judge later. Choose to trust him as your Savior rather than meet him as your righteous judge later. And and, and, and see, when, when you have this justice settled, your sins have been forgiven, you can now live life free. You don't have to be going around trying to repay everybody who's hurt you with evil. Everybody who's harmed you, you don't have to harm them back. You see, this is how we live life. You don't talk to me, therefore I'm not talking to you. Well, that's really mature, okay? Uh, you, you said this, you, you don't like me, I'm not going to look at you. All right? and, we, and we go through life like this. Well, you hit me, I'm going to hit you. And it sounds like preschool, doesn't it? But let's look at this like this. My neighbor did this to me. And I'll never forget when we were growing up, my dad, (laughs) he's in heaven with the Lord, so I can have fun with it, right? But I'll never forget my dad, he lost his mind because the neighbor, we lived in Dormont. So, you know, we had like seven minutes worth of grass cutting, all right? And so all the leaves came down from my neighbor's tree on our side of the fence. And I'll never forget my dad, he would like lose his mind with a neighbor, Because we had a tree and the fence run right here. So he would go up. He would cut off all the branches that were hanging on our side of the fence. I'm like, Dad, that is the ugliest looking tree I've ever seen, you know? I'll never forget one time my dad went out and he drilled like a a hole in the roots and put gasoline in the roots, okay? Why? Because he wanted to get even with this lady. She was just an older lady. She didn't, all she wanted was, you know, to look at her lovely tree. If she would have paid me, I would have raked the leaves. I don't know, all right? But it's like, you know, ju- my dad was trying to make justice for his own. And I'll never forget that. I'm like, we really just poured gasoline on a maple tree. I just can't believe that, you know? And so, so here's what happens. We want justice now. And God says, no, 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 no. I am the one who serves justice do not repay. And here it is. This, this is the verse. You ready? Romans 12, 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Do not drill and put gasoline in your neighbor's tree because the leaves fell on your side. Do not, because somebody hit you, hit them back. Do not, because somebody stole something from you, steal from them. Do not, because somebody gossiped about you, Gossip about them. 
Ooh, we just found out where we all live. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Wow. Do you realize the importance of unity? Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. We realize it's not possible. The Apostle Paul said, if it's possible, some people you just can't get along with. But he says, live at peace. You don't have to backbite. You don't have to be contentious. You don't have to complain. You don't have to da-da-da-da-da. Just live at peace. Peace. Do not repay evil. Your neighbor that you don't like, do not repay evil for evil. Repay them with kindness. Look, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, he will heap burning coals on his head. You will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Wow. Overcome evil with good. This is how it works. Somebody harms you, you repay them with kindness. That neighbor, we should have been making pies for my neighbor. Instead, we're killing her tree. Wow. You see, this is what God wants from you in your life. Will you take your life and will you, will, you, will you say, okay, I'm not, I don't have, God is the judge. God is the one who slams the gavel. At the end of human history, it is God. So when he slams the gavel, you don't have to repay anything. You don't have to get even. Because when you try to get even, you can't get even enough. You may try to get even, but you'll never get even enough and you won't even be happy. You'll be angry and you'll be upset all the rest of your life because you're trying to get even. And so he says, don't repay evil for evil. Repay evil for good. God is love. God is just on one hand. Sin must be paid for. God is love. That's the second point in your notes there. Actually, the third point. God is love. Uh, and, and just fill in the blank here. God is love. 1 John 4, 8. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. The very nature of God is love. Uh, If you want to define love, you've got to start with God. You won't find love apart from God. Uh, This is why I try to tell people all the time in your relationships, you've got to keep God at the center of your relationship. Because if you don't have God there, you don't have anybody that will give you the definition of love. And here's what love is. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient. God is patient. We just read he is slow to anger. Love is patient. God is patient. Love is kind. All throughout the Old Testament, there's a word called hesed love. It's the loving kindness of God. He is a kind God. Uh, Love never gives up. God never gave up on you. He has never once given up on you. You have given up on you. God has never given up on you. Uh, Love is always hopeful. God has never given up hope on you. God has never said, well, a bunch of humans. God's never looked and said, that crazy Ken Barner, he'll never amount to nothing. God has never done that to me, and he's never done it to you because he is love. Your parents may have done it to you. Your friends may have done it to you. You may have been abandoned by everything, but he has never done that to you. He has been there. He says that he will be with you through every circumstance. 1 Corinthians 13 says that hope endures through every circumstance. Wow, Christ, 
also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. He did this because of his love for you. He settled your justice problem. He was motivated by love. John 3.16, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. If you have not yet memorized the verse, I want to encourage you to go home and memorize this verse, John 3.16, because it is the gospel in a nutshell here. Would you read it with me out loud? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, God cares about you so much that he loves you. See, the, the whole reason for Jesus going to the cross was that he loved you. Did you catch that? He loved you. He knew about sin. Look what sin does. Sin is like cancer. It destroys. It destroys relationships. It separates us from God. It, a, a sin will hurt any relationship that you have. Sin will destroy your relationship with God. It will destroy your relationship with people. Uh, it makes people make terrible decisions. Uh, kids get abused. It makes kids get abused. It makes suicides happen. It makes people get hooked on drugs. And, and it causes the chaos in this fallen world. There is a holy, a righteous God. He sees it all. He knew it all. He knew the price tag to free you from all of that. And he went to the cross and he paid for your sin. Look at what love is. Love is giving another person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. Giving the other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least. You know, it's easy. Somebody loves you for you to love them back. Somebody gives you a gift at Christmas, what do you do? You say thank you. You hug them. You send them a thank you card. It's like easy for you to love somebody like that. But somebody, you know, puts a bag of coal in your stocking. What do you do? Well, who do they think they are? <laughs> See, love is not dependent on what you deserve. And God loves you more than you could ever deserve. Love, his love is a giving. It's giving. John 3.16, God's love is giving. John 3.16 said, for God so loved the world that he gave. It is sacrificial. He gave what? His only begotten son. There was a price to his love for you. He didn't just say it. It wasn't some mushy feeling. He cared about you. And he said, I'm sending my son Jesus to die on that cross. It was unconditional that whosoever would believe on him. You know, if, it, if you and I were handing out eternal life, it would say, if you filled out Form 13B and you got it in on time and our board reviewed it, right? God says, no, I am the board, no form, believe. You don't have to be a good person. Believe. I'll make you the good person. Believe, believe, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Over in Ephesians 3, it says that his love is boundless. So as we wrap up this morning, I want, I want to read to you four statements of God's love. God is just and God is love. And if you ever study the justice of God and you take the love out, you'll never understand the justice of God. 
And if you understand the love of God, if you study God's love without the justice, you'll never understand the love. The two go hand in hand. And I want you to catch this because God loves you unconditionally. He did this. He's, he took care of your, your justice problem. Uh, justice has been served. It was served to Christ on the cross. And whenever you trust him, he offers you this love of a relationship. I'm going to read four statements to you. And as I read these statements, I want to ask you, do you understand God's love in this way? Or maybe this is new to you today. Number one, God's thoughts, intentions, desires, and plans for me are always for my good and never for my harm. They're always for my good and never for my harm. Well, you say, well, that sounds a little, a little wild. I never thought of God like that. Go read Jeremiah 29, 11. My plans for you are to prosper, not to harm you. How about this one? He is kind. God is kind. He's open, approachable. He's eager to be your friend. Do you see God as your friend or are you still worried about the policeman in the sky? He's your friend. He's eager to be your friend. He's approachable. You get to come and talk to him. John 15, 15, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. Emotionally, how about this? He identifies with your pain, with your joy, with your hopes and your dreams. Do you understand how much God cares about what you're going through? You say, well, God's so powerful. He's the king of my heart. He's the king of the universe, right? How How can he be the king of the universe and yet know the pain that I'm going through? Well, he's the God of the universe. He's all powerful. He knows everything, every trial, every burden, every letdown, every pain. We know over when he went to a funeral, Jesus himself cried, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. And I believe today when you're going through a heartache, God is right there with you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And his heart is identified with your heart. How about this one? He takes pleasure in you without you having to perform. He takes pleasure in me apart from my performance and or accomplishments. God loves you without condition. He doesn't need you to perform. Some of you have reached out by faith. And you say, I've reached out by faith and I've accepted God's love. And I want to encourage you, if if that's you this morning, you haven't done that. Reach out by faith and trust him that he died on the cross. That he loves you that much. That he settled your justice account. But for many people, they've stopped there. Many followers of Christ have taking care of their justice account but they go to work tomorrow feeling like God doesn't love them because they failed because they made bad decisions because they messed up their life and God says no 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 that's not the God that I am you mean so much to me that I gave my only son for you and I went all the way to the cross to pay for your sin and therefore I want you to know that you are my child and even though you screw up even though you messed up I want you to come home I want you to know I love you and you cannot escape my question is you may have trusted him but do you really believe it have you retrained your thoughts not to be performance driven we live in a world that is so performance driven we we let we we let the we let our jobs dictate performance we let our parents dictate our grades and at the end of the day guess what god says i'm not grading you on a grade scale the only a plus was at the cross i love you i love you for who you are 
are. I made you. I know your name. I know how many hair on your head. I know how many hair are leaving your head. I know everything about you. And I still choose to love you. Let's close in prayer. With our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, I want to invite you to Jesus. I want to invite you to Jesus today. Would you just open your heart to Jesus? If you've not yet trusted Christ as your personal Savior, I want to encourage you to reach out by faith today and make that personal. Just call on him. Dear God, I need my justice settled. I have a justice problem. I've sinned. But you took care of it on the cross. And God, I open my heart to you today and I invite you into my heart and I want to, I want to trust you. I want, I want to pay. I want your payment for my sin. I accept what you did on the cross for me. God, I invite you into my life right now. Thank you for dying. Thank you for coming back to life again for me. And with our heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you've done that. Maybe you did that today and we say congratulations. We say welcome to the family of God. And for others, maybe, maybe you've done that, but you haven't been believing it. You've reached out by faith, but you've been falling under this approval system and the accomplishment system. God says, let me make the good work in you. Relax. I love you. Come home today. God, be with your people as we respond to your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me and sing? You're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me